0: First Point Guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is also another edition of Mailbag Monday Answering listener submitted questions all episode long. We do this every week I'm realizing that for the first time in four months there is a real reason for new listeners to join the podcast, so if you are a new listener, welcome, and If this is your first Mailbag Monday, here's how it works and here's how you can get involved. First is just send me a tweet at Rich on Twitter. You can just send me one whenever you're thinking of it. Maybe mark it as Mailbag Monday or make it clear that you're asking for the podcast or you can wait until Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet. I'll get it in the show. If you are not a Twitter user, That's okay. There is another way for you to get involved. You can send an email to LockedOnBlazersPod, that's LockedOnBlazersPod, at gmail.com, and I'll get you in the show. That's a good way if you're either just not a Twitter user, if you want to ask a little bit longer question, want to introduce yourself, anything like that, Gmail is a wonderful option for those of you who are not on the hellscape of Twitter.com. So that's how we do it. Again, if you're a new listener, the show happens in three segments, this particular show. We do three segments of the same thing. Listeners a questions, so let's get into it right away. This first question comes from Ben Sprouse, at Ben underscore Sprouse on Twitter, who asks, is it just me, or has Yusuf Nurkic looked surprisingly adept in his first two games back? I know he hasn't shot at a super high percentage, but he looks to be moving well, and most of all, he looks engaged and genuinely happy to be on the floor. Thoughts? Ben, it is not just you. I wholeheartedly agree, and I have... Really enjoyed seeing Yusuf be back. One of the things that has made me, I can't quite put my finger on how I feel about it. I think it's sad or maybe just weirded out is that this this should be this, uh, this moment for Nurk. Like a return from a long-term injury should be a moment that you get to really bask in, that you get to experience the roar of the fans, that you get to sort of experience the a return to the normalcy a return to that thing that you missed after so long away and that Nurk hasn't isn't going to get that in Orlando it's he's none of this is normal none of it is familiar he doesn't get to, you know he gets to be playing high level basketball with his teammates again and he's certainly playing really well uh like you mentioned shooting percentages aside but he doesn't get the he doesn't get that thing that he anticipated for all those months and to me that feels strange and i feel sad for him i feel i, I do feel genuinely bad for him but basketball wise he's looked awesome Talked about it a little bit on the podcast I posted last night. So if you haven't listened to that, there's some extended thoughts on the joy that Nurkic has brought me and clearly has exuded when he's out on the court. Yeah, he's, he looks great. He looks, I think I, I kept saying how good he was on this podcast. I was saying he's one of the 30 best players in the league. And then he came back and he kind of still looks like one of the 30 best players in the league. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's re- like, even the, all these verbal affirmations I was giving him. Maybe I didn't totally trust my evaluation because he looks awesome. He's going to be a big help. He can do a lot of things well. Next question comes from Nick from Gmail. Nick asks, Sports reporters and Bill Simmons repeatedly have stated that the Trailblazers would be the scariest team for the Lakers to face in the playoffs because they don't have a defensive answer to to Damian Lillard. I didn't follow the Blazers 2018 playoff exit closely. How impactful was Anthony Davis in shutting down the backcourt? I have perceived Drew Holiday as being key to the Pelicans' disruption of Dame time in 2018. Yeah, Nick, I do think it was a lot of a uh, Holiday uh anthony davis certainly a big impact his ability just to be mobile and and move around was particularly helping off of traps and being the trapper himself really helped uh the blazers in that series and they just didn't have it they hadn't a lot is made of what the blazers couldn't do on offense in that series because it was a big deal and drew holiday and anthony davis were a big part of that but they also just couldn't stop that pelicans team they had no answer for what Anthony Davis could do on offense like they just they just couldn't guard him and then they would try to do a bunch of different things and put you know less mobile bigger less mobile guys on him like Nurk and all these things but to answer to not get too caught up in the the Pelican stuff like Drew Holiday very key very very key that's an astute point that you make but Getting back to sort of the original meat of your question or the premise of your question about Drew Holiday is the Los Angeles Lakers thing, and you're not the only person wondering this. Adam Nakamura, at AdamNaka28 on Twitter, says, I know people say the Lakers should fear us. I love these collective pronouns if we make the playoffs. I don't disagree, but a lot of them have gone on to say that we will beat them because they can't guard Dame or CJ, but how do we guard LeBron and AD? I think some fans are too optimistic. Adam, you're looking for pessimism? You have... Ask the question to the right man. Here's the thing: the Lakers are not—they're not like confused. Uh, there was an interview, or excuse me, Danny Dan, wasn't an interview. Danny Green hosts a podcast. Uh, North Carolina Tar Heel legend and current Los Angeles Laker and three-time NBA champion Danny Green hosts a podcast in which he talked about how the Lakers view the Blazers as the biggest threat to them, specifically because of Damian Lillard. And I've said this on this podcast a bunch of times, and I'll say it again. Now, Damian Lillard is the best player of the teams vying for the eighth spot. He is by far the best player on any of those rosters. And everyone knows that. It's not a It's not a secret. So I think the Blazers are the pick to maybe upset the Lakers because uh, a, a singular talent and a point guard talent like Dame, uh, is is intimidating in and of itself the Blazers if they're healthy probably have more talent than a typical eighth seed which would be challenging and they certainly they kind of fit the bill as an upset type team right but the Lakers aren't confused they know they know who's coming and they already have it's not like they're they're underappreciating or underestimating rather what this team does um I don't know how the Blazers guard Le- LeBron James that'll be something that comes up a bunch later in this podcast defense specifically not LeBron and I don't they still don't have a great option for Anthony Davis although Zach Collins is way better than what they had this version of Zach Collins is better than the version of Zach Collins available to them in 2018 he ended up playing in that series but he wasn't Um, he just he's just a better basketball player now so all that is to say is that I am not on board with the lots of people uh, Chris Haynes Charles Barkley I guess Bill Simmons, although I hadn't heard it, who uh, Channing Frye, who are picking the Blazers to, to beat the Lakers. I know that that's a thing that people are doing, but it ain't me. All right, this next question comes from Pradeep from Gmail. Pradeep asks, can Ariza come back, assuming he's gone through NBA-mandated quarantine period, if the Blazers make the playoffs and his visitation period has expired? Is he confirmed out for the whole thing? Brody Vogue at Brody Vogue on Twitter asks, I'm wondering if Portland can manage to make it into the playoffs. Is there a scenario where Ariza can join them? Everyone's wondering about Trevor Ariza because everyone is thinking about LeBron James and how the hell do they guard him? We're all on the same page. Here's the problem. Nope, he can't rejoin them. It's over. The when the league started, uh, teams submitted their rosters, and they you would have to submit your roster even for guys who weren't there. Ariza was not on the roster. Neither was Caleb Swanigan. Those guys are done. They're out. It's over. You can't add free agents at this point. The only t- you had it you had you could have kept the door open by keeping guys on the roster like say the rockets did for Luke Richard and Bamute who wasn't who hadn't, hadn't joined the team but had you know was on the roster but just didn't come yet things like that but the blazers didn't do that they didn't include him on the official submitted roster to Orlando that were um public information you can go find these somewhere uh, Unfortunately, Twitter.com is probably where I'm going to point you to, but no, Ariza can't come. Those are the league rules, Um, so they're just without him. They're moving forward without Trevor Ariza. He would really help. I understand why both Pradeep and Brody asked that question because Trevor Ariza, you watch this team and you say, man, man would he help. In fact, Gabe from Gmail asks... I just watched the Blazers' second scrimmage, and man, it's awesome seeing Nurk and Zach back. But wonder how much better a shot this team would have if Trevor could have made it to the bubble. Boy, howdy, Gabe. Everyone, myself included, wonders that as well. Trevor Reza did the right thing. There's no debate about being a good, choosing to be a good father over a good teammate. The, the life is so much important. Fatherhood, being a, a good family member, and and um, and being a, a dad is just so much more important than being a pretty good small forward. No one, I'm, I'm certainly not going to criticize Trevor Reza. If you hear someone doing that, tell them to go kick rocks. They, you can invite them to eat my shorts. I will mail them some shorts to wherever they live. But there is no doubt, as Gabe points out and as Brody and Pradeep allude to here, that the Blazers would be better off with Trevor Reza on the roster. That's just, it's just true. They don't have that defensive wing. They don't have what he brings to the table they'll make up for it in different ways and they'll be better at different things without Ariza but they miss they will greatly greatly miss his skill set no doubt about it all right let's come back in the second segment answer more of your questions on this beautiful mailbag monday all right we're keeping it rolling here with mailbag monday let's not waste any more time this next question comes from logan gillis logan at logan gillis on twitter logan asks how the hell are we going to guard athletic force there's a collective pronoun for y'all with nurk and hassan out there siakam this is pascal siakam of the toronto raptors was doing whatever he wanted yeah i mean first of all pascal siakam is really good and kind of like herky-jerky and hard to guard for the whole league he's one of the best players in the league he's just a weird unique position of somewhere between he's like a powerful small forward he's kind of a four he can play the three he can guard a lot of different positions his moves are unorthodox he spins to either hand like he does a lot of stuff that a lot of teams have to guard but for me watching that nurk and hassan pairing that was the thing i was most concerned about it's not just like guarding guys in space um i don't i don't like you can drop off a little bit and 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 kind of use your size to lure guys into taking jumpers. It's more of just the straight line drivers and stuff. And the, when particularly Pascal Siakam opposite the ball, he gets it and he can attack in space and he has just a little bit more foot speed than whichever center is checking him at the time. It puts everyone in a bind and he might not even score. And I think the Raptors did a good job of this is that they would catch the Blazers trying to rotate with that big lineup a little bit. And the help would come and they would just kick it out for a three. And the problem with the big lineup is not necessarily that first line of help, but it's the recovery help without the lot of speed. And it goes on down the line. Carmelo Anthony, while I think he's he's noticeably playing hard like hard on defense, even in these scrimmages, he's just not as fast as he once was. The dude's 36 years old. The Blazers have lost a lot of speed on the perimeter. Um, I don't love the Nurk and Hassan pairing specifically for the the speedy fours like just straight up stretch fours i'm not super worried about i think you can recover to shooters but guys who could play power forward and attack off the dribble i I, i'm worried about that specific position uh for the blazers because how many points can they recoup on the other end by being bigger than the other team that's the big question and the problem is that the solution is zach collins who is also a center i mean that's 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 where this team is at. He's a, he's a, he has more defensive versatility than those other two guys, but their solution at power forward isn't the solution. Like, you know, capital T, capital S. Zach will help though. I, I think the Blazers aren't, I might sound a little negative on them, but they're, they're, I think they're going to be good. Like, I think, I think we're going to have a fun eight games here in, um, in Orlando, because I think this team's going to be enjoyable and competitive in, 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 in all these games. Okay, next question comes from Gabe from Gmail, who says, While watching Rockets Grizzlies and seeing Jeff Green on the Rockets and was wondering when the hell do they sign him, I looked it up and saw that he was waived in December and wasn't signed until February for a, on a 10-day contract. I've always loved his game and feel like he's the exact type of wing player the Blazers were missing all year slash since the offseason. Any ideas why they didn't look his way when they were trading Kent Bazemore? They could have waived either when and Gabriel or Caleb Swanigan to sign him. I feel like Trevor Ariza, Carmelo Anthony, and Jeff Green could have come in mid-year and provide a significant change for the wing position and some experience for Nas as well. Yeah, Gabe, I'm I, I think I'm just not on board with this as much as you. I first of all, I think Jeff Green is specifically not a wing. I think he's a four. Uh Brad Stevens has this idea of um that there's four positions: there's bigs. There's creators, there's swings and there's wings. And I think Jeff Green is a swing. That means he can pl- he can play either of those forward spots, but he's more of just this hybrid forward. Um, I don't think he has enough off the dribble game to really be a three. I don't think he's fast enough to guard threes. I just don't think he's... I, I think he's a power forward. Um, I also think he's a backup power forward in the league, and like so many teams have thought Jeff Green is the answer for so long, and he's like really never been the answer anywhere. He's mostly enticing and not rewarding. But... If you like Jeff Green, that's cool with me, right? Like that that's your prerogative, my man, but yeah, I don't think Jeff Green's a solution. Maybe he'll be good specifically for what the Rockets want to do. I bet he'll play center for the Rockets, but uh he's not he's not my huckleberry. Okay, this next question comes from Jonathan at J Sass on Twitter, who asks, I know I can't be the only one that cringes when Hazonia checks in. You mentioned last week about how, and he's paraphrasing here, he can be erratic out on the floor. I think I used the word wonky like six times describing Mario Hazonia. So erratic is a better word than wonky, but if we're talking about what I said, I said wonky way too much. Seems like he's always trying to do way too much, way too quickly. Is his chaotic play ever a plus? We'll get, we'll get there, Jonathan, because KJM underscore B-Ball at B-Ball KJM on Twitter asks, Watching the scrimmage, and it seems super obvious to me that Mario just isn't playable. Even when I watch the highlights of practice over the past few weeks, it's always Melo being scored on or turning the ball over. Can you fill me in on why he gets minutes? And also Wallace, who sent this to me in a text message. This is a real text message from a not real person. Wallace asked, Why did they let Mario in the 35-person allotment in Orlando and... Or why did he opt in? A lot of y'all are worried about my boy Mario Azonia. Um listen, he's just he's just someone who doesn't know what he's good at. That's my explanation. Um to answer Jonathan's question, is his chaotic play ever a plus? Once every 10 games, sure. But mostly his chaos is his problem. So here's here's my take. Here's my thoughts on 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 Hazonia I don't I don't like to use the word take I'm embarrassed that I just said it but my 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 position on Hazonia is that he just doesn't understand what he's good at and what he would be good at is attacking in straight line drives and using his size and passing ability to be a playmaker and take advantage of people with simple like i said straight line drive type moves he's not a shooter he's not going to post up and spin and take fade away jumpers but he sees himself as a star he just i don't have a great like relationship with mario zonia i was around the team a bunch this year covering the team for nba nbc sports northwest but he's just a guy who i didn't get to know very well um that's probably mostly my own fault for not for not trying to form that relationship but my perception of him from the sort of moderate closeness that I was around him is that he's just he's just someone who thinks that he's a star and he's actually a role player and that his his he's so convinced of that that it it just poisons his game at a lot of the time with erratic decision making or thinking he can do things that he can't do and he just if he just stayed in his lane and accepted his actual position as, six foot eight point forward role player the the kind of role that Evan Turner finally finally figured out in the playoffs last year Hazonia could be an asset to answer KJM's question specifically why he gets minutes they don't have any other freaking wings on the roster the other option is rookie Nazir Little who just frankly is probably worse than Mario Hazonia I don't think he will be worse like I think he I think he can move forward and be a better player I think his his he has a path to be a much better basketball player than mario Ozonia. but right now he's 20 years old and he's just it's not a massive upgrade uh i think nazir little could earn minutes over him for sure but the other options of that wing are wenyon gabriel but i think the real option is the blazers are going to tighten up the rotation go with three guard lineups with dame cj and gary trent jr and just say listen we only trust these seven dudes these guys are going to help uh wallace i the reason that Mario Hazonia came to the Orlando bubble is because he already lives in Orlando. He didn't have to travel. He lives there in the off season. It's close to his house. Okay, next question comes from Jonathan. Another one from at J Sass on Twitter who says, Do you think the hype just got to Simon's this year? Or was the hype just premature in the first place or both? He sure has flashes of what may come, but where do you think his ceiling is realistically after what we've seen this year? Bmax at PDX on Twitter asks, how can we get Anthony's confidence back? I finally got some glimpses of confident Anthony in the second scrimmage, and when he is confident, that man is really good. Yeah, there's moments when Anthony Simons shows you why the Blazers think he's so good. Like, there are just these moments when it's like, oh, he's not a lot of people on earth can do what he does. Uh, and when his shots go in and they're so pretty, he can get himself space to get shots off. That's a skill that not a lot of guys have, that they can dribble and get free and be quick and elusive and have enough of a handle to get their own shots off. He just misses a lot of them. He shot 33%, well below league average from three. A league average is like 36 for those of you scoring at home. He shot like 33% from three. Here's the thing, B-Max. Confidence is something you have, not something you get. And it's certainly not something that anyone gives to you that's a real conundrum so the way Amphrey Simons gets his confidence back is by being confident and the way to be confident is to play well and playing well provides confidence it's a circular problem i i I'm not sure I totally agree with you that it's just his confidence that's holding him back. I think there's a, there's a, just a skill level problem there, but certainly when he plays with confidence he looks better. I agree with you 100% on that one. To answer Jonathan's questions, I think his ceiling could be pretty good. Like I think he could be an NBA player like a u- really useful NBA rotation player as as soon as next year. The problem is that was assuming that he had an off season, like a real life full-on offseason to work on his game, if the Blazers, you know, play until September or whatever, and then he just has September, October, November, and then the season starts around Christmas, That that's, that is, approximates an offseason, but it's not exactly the same thing, um, it, I think throwing guys out of rhythm will be hard for people who really need that, that sort of, d- those development months, um, I do think Anthony Simons can be a really useful player in year three, mostly because the Blazers have a track record of having guys sit out two full years and then be good in year three. And they passed up their plan with Anthony Simons and they overhyped him. And it was unfair. They should have been true to their method. It worked with Pat Connaughton; He was not an NBA player. And then by year three, he was a contributor. Same with Jake Lehman. In a lot of ways, same with Will Barton and same with Alan Crabb. they have, an obvious track record of having this work. They didn't have the luxury of doing that this year with Simons, the way it shook out, but they also chose not to do that because they got rid of everyone in front of him and they hyped him up like he was going to be a superstar and it was unfair. So I don't think that the hype got to him. I think that the hype was premature and frankly stupid by the Blazers brass. But I don't think that, I don't think it's affected him to the point where it will cost him his future. I think he's fine. All right, third segment, come back, close out the show with more of your questions on Mailbag Monday. Still a pass-first point guard. Still locked on Blazers. I'm still Mike Richmond, and we're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. Let's just get to it. Why waste any more time? Sir Weezy, at Wheezy Sir on Twitter, asks... What has been your go-to takeout or delivery spot? My wife and I recently got takeout from Coquine for a special occasion, and it was outstanding. Any recommendations? This is hyper local. If you are not listening from the Portland area, sorry. Um, you know, we've got a great city. I know that we're getting some bad press right now, but we have a wonderful city full of proud citizens who will stand up for uh, what's right in democracy and what's right for racial justice, and they also have options to go out great places to eat. Coquine, one of my favorite restaurants in the city. My go-to during the pandemic has been, I I haven't really gotten takeout that much, which might be my own, um, might be a misstep by me because you got to support these restaurants to keep them in business during these times. But where I've been going a bunch is uh, Lovely's Pizza on Mississippi. Uh, It's fantastic. They've got a great setup for to-go orders. Um, It's just its just it's my favorite pizza in town, and it also is expensive. So if you want pizza for cheap, there's a lot of other options. Yeah, lovelies, though. Check it out. Next question comes from Big J at Juicy Moose 3424 on Twitter, who asks, You think this bubble situation will help or hurt Mello and Hassan's chances of returning, regardless of outcome? Yeah, I think that it helps Hassan Whiteside's chances. Not the bubble, but the whole situation um, like the whole financial situation regarding the NBA. There's just going to be not, maybe not a lot of teams with cap space this year, not a lot of teams that want to bi- spend big on contracts this summer. Um, so maybe this means that Hassan would end up coming back to the Blazers on either a short term deal or a cheaper deal to get, you know, long term financial security. I don't see the Blazers doing that, but I think that the situation with um, Daryl Morey supporting rights for Chinese citizens in Hong Kong and also the um, global pandemic getting rid of fans in stadiums have... Work together to make, to probably hurt the NBA's financial situation such that it will matter for guys who are trying to get paid. And Hassan is probably someone, considering his skill set and where he's at his career, that should go get paid. Like that's the right thing for him to do. A little different for Melo. He's probably still going to be on a minimum contract next year. So I think it's more about where he wants to be. I don't think the financial stuff impacts him as much. Next question comes from Logan Gillis. At Logan Gillis on Twitter with the second question of the show. Congratulations, Logan. Logan asks, floor slash ceiling comps for Wenyan Gabriel using only former Trailblazers players. This is incredibly hard, Logan. You're a regular listener and a regular question asker, so you knew that you had to give me a question that was exceedingly difficult. Here's what I came up with. Wenyan Gabriel's floor is Chris Johnson. A backup center who had brief flashes of being productive, but by the time he left the Blazers, was barely in the NBA. And in Gabriel's ceiling is Stacy Ogman, an elite defense, versatile defensive wing who could play a couple different spots and was wreaked havoc with his length. That's probably too high of a ceiling, quite honestly, because Stacy Ogman was was a very good basketball player. But that's what I got. Chris Johnson to Stacey Ogman. All right, next question comes from Evan M. Jones. At Evan M. Jones with two S's on Twitter who asks, Direct swap, CJ for Drew Holiday. With good development for the young guys over the next two seasons, a lineup of Dame, Drew, Hood, Zach, and Nurk with a bench of Simons, GT, Nas, and this year's draft pick feels like it could win it all. Yeah, I'm not um, totally on board with that plan, and here's why. I think Drew Holiday is extremely good. I think he's one of... I don't think he's the most, a lot of people, most underrated player in the league. He's maybe the most under underappreciated player in the league. He's on a max contract, can't be underrated on a max contract. Someone thought you were worth the maximum amount of money. But yeah, underappreciated guys in the league for sure. I, I think when you trade a, a player for player swap, what worries me is that CJ's individual offensive production is so incredibly important for what you do and holiday while he's a good offensive player isn't that type of like one-on-one singular score and in fact when he's been asked to play that role for new orleans he hasn't been at his best he's really good as a complementary part on offense and just an elite defensive player he can take over games he's a guy who can score 20 a game for sure but asking him every night we need you to score 23 is probably unfair um, and I think that you take a step back on offensive production alone with that, with that holiday trade. I do think he fits what the Blazers need—a guy who can guard guards like that. That that would really help his versatility to guard more than just ones and twos, but occasionally threes because he's he's just a really good defensive player. Would help. But to me, I don't love that trade, and I, um, I'm, I'm I I don't know. Um, it's it's not for me. But Evan M. Jones, that didn't that didn't stop you from given me another personnel question. You hit me with, what do you think about Chris Dunn as an offseason target? I really like Chris Dunn. As an aside, when he was at Providence, he shelled Carolina in the uh, NCAA tournament. I thought he was going to be an absolute stud. And then he went to to Minneapolis where good players go to get bad. Uh, It turns out going to organizations that are run like crap will stunt your growth. I would really be interested in some sort of study to to look into teams, to players that go to Orlando and Phoenix and Sacramento and and Minneapolis and New York Knicks, quite frankly, how much that really impacts their growth as players. Because Chris Dunn, a couple years removed from the Minnesota experiment, this year in Chicago looked really good. Like, he looked like a really good defensive guard, guy who can really um, really get after people on defense at, as a point guard, which is a really hard thing to do the way the NBA League rules work. Here's my problem with that. I think Chris Dunn's really good and can really help a team. But this team, this particular Blazers team, has a ton of money committed to Damian and C.J. McCollum, a ton of draft capital or at least enthusiasm committed to Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr., adding a fifth guard to that rotation doesn't seem like a good plan. Someone is going to be happy getting Chris Dunn, in my opinion, this summer. I don't think specifically with how crowded the Blazers' backcourt is already and how much they like Gary Trent Jr. and Simons that he would help this particular team. Okay, next question comes from Adam Nakamura at AdamNaka28. Also doubling up in this episode, a lot of people asking multiple questions. Love to see it. Adam asks, I love these camera angles in the scrimmages. Are you up or down on them using them next year? The rail cam, specifically, is amazing. I don't like the alternate camera angles. I think they're really fun, um, particularly the high def, like that rail cam, like right on the sort of guy's like rib cage line um, is a really fun alternate angle for uh for replays i think it's it's been enjoyable but during the game um i'm just i'm just an old fogey and i i want that traditional angle it's you if you watch the game with me i'll be screaming at the tv show the game show the game show the game um i understand other people have enjoyed them too but to me during the broadcast sometimes when i really want to pay attention to like the basketball stuff that's going on they're too much but like cinematic wise gorgeous love them love them so yeah give me them for highlights but not for actual gameplay Final question of the show comes from KJM at underscore KJM underscore B ball at B ball KJM on Twitter. Another doubling up here. KJM asks, you mentioned on Monday's podcast, y'all can check it out. It's in your feed right behind this one that you don't always enjoy watching the Blazers. Can you talk about what would make them more entertaining and name a few of your favorite players slash teams to watch and why I'm more of a players guy when it comes to the NBA. Um, I kind of just identify players that I really enjoy and then watch them play. So it's like, I, I really like De'Aaron fox so i want to watch the kings play they to me they're incredibly fun they're a west coast team that i'll always tune in for uh i really like kyle lowry and pascal siakam so i'll watch the i watch the hell out of the out of the raptors i like I pretty much like the whole raptors roster i kind of um they i kind of adopted them as my league pass team and then they ended up winning the title and i felt like a real front runner um so I kind of just like pick. I I'm more my style of fandom is picking players that I that I like and following them. So, but in terms of why I said I don't always like the Blazers, I think that's a proximity issue. You know, I watch a lot of their games and in person, um, and then sometimes after games where they lose. I have to go in there and ask them questions, or even after games they win, I have got a story plan going and it doesn't work out, and I hold grudges against dudes who gave me a bad interview. Not like actually, but I'm like, dang, that was that was a shitty interview, I wish that had gone better because it would have been easier for my job. So sometimes there's, I think it's just a proximity thing where I just like don't have a lot of emotional joy watching the Blazers. I will say that when Damian Lillard is at his peak, I don't know that there's many more fun dudes in the league to watch. So there are moments when I feel very, very grateful to be so up close with this team, to get to to be in the arena for some really special moments and some really just special nights when you're you're very clearly to me watching the best player in the history of the franchise at the height of his powers. But I think it's a, I think it's a proximity thing. Like when I just doing it for work for six seasons, um, has made me maybe take the little bit of the enjoyment out of also I'm not a Portland native so I didn't I don't have this like childhood connection to them um I didn't I didn't I, so I don't I don't have this sort of like you know three decades or whatever of uh of close connection to this team I'm a transplant who's lived here for 15 years and mostly worked in sports media so I kind of always treated them like a job even though I do have like a real nostalgic fondness for the 0809 Blazers and Brandon Roy um yeah, so uh, to me I I may have I may have overstated that I don't enjoy watching them. I just don't think I get like true emotional connection or 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 true like a true deep emotional enjoyment out of watching them the way that maybe I can watch, you know, the University of North Carolina Tar Heels basketball team. That's going to do it for today's show. Just so you don't forget, if you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, want to hear me shout out your name or your Twitter handle, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or send me an email locked on at gmail.com. We do this each week. I record it on Monday nights. It usually posts on Tuesdays or Monday evening, depending on my schedule. I love it. I love everyone who asks questions. I love everyone who listens. It's one of my favorite things to do each week. Let's keep it rolling. Appreciate y'all. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.